We're here to talk about Quantopian, crowdsourced quantitative hedge fund that launched in 2012 and shut down for good in November of 2020. I was one of the founders uh, and the CEO of Quantopian. I cherished my time working on Quantopian for many reasons, uh, but one of my favorite parts was building the company with my co-founder, CTO, and friend, John Bradesh. Uh, so thanks for being here, John. Thanks for having me. Good to see you guys. Um, so you've done a lot of interesting things uh, in your career, both before and after Quantopian. Can you just kind of tell us the story of your career? I know everyone's really especially interested in what happened after Quantopian, but... Maybe sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a lot of my career will will involve working with you, Foss, and some other people uh, that we know well. Um, I started in 2003 after college and joined a small startup called Tamale Software in Boston. Um, and so happened to be that uh, Foss was the CEO and or the CTO and co-founder there. So, uh, nice <laughs> so that was uh, that was the first time that we met each other and uh, we were building research management solutions, kind of like an Evernote type product for the investment industry. And that was really interesting. I didn't know anything about really anything. So it was a great learning experience for me as that company grew to uh, about 70-ish people. And then we got acquired in 2008, um, right? Uh, maybe a week before the financial crisis. So quite good timing, given that our customers were very impacted by that. Um, I uh, led a lot of different engineering efforts there, front end, back end, kind of just really just learned everything uh, that I could and saw how companies are grown uh, and how they work. And I bounced around for a little bit after that, uh, different kind of stints, kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I'd been at Kamali for five, six years, or maybe, yeah, six years. So wanted to kind of bounce around and learn what I wanted to do. I spent a year at HubSpot uh, when it was really small in Boston. I spent a year at a small startup called Capost, which was with the other Tamale uh, co-founder, Nader, uh, out in Boulder. And eventually my wife and I moved to San Francisco. And as I was looking for my next uh, position, my, my next kind of adventure, um, Boss uh, reached me and said that he had an idea for a company. So one thing led to another, and uh, that was late 2011. So in 2012, early 2012, kind of jumped into it. Kind of funny that I had moved to, to, to California and then uh, started a company with Foss in Boston, right where we had moved away from. But, you know, you can't predict these things. So, uh, yeah, that was a little bit of the pre-Quantopian time. And then I'm sure we'll dig into Quantopian uh, during this conversation. And uh, afterwards... Uh, so fast forward to 2020, um, a bunch of us from Quantopia enjoyed Robinhood, as we'll certainly talk about. And, uh, and I was there for almost two years, leading various product engineering teams uh, around brokerage, data, kind of the advanced investing flows around options and accounting and margin and portfolio calculations and the investment research journey and things like that. Um, but I eventually felt that I've been in kind of the, this area of fintech for quite a while. And I wanted to find some place to, you know, learn something new about, about new domain kind of have some new challenges, but also maximize my impact on the world. You know, now that I have kids and I want to think about what their life will be like and how I can set them up for success. But I also want like, you know, how do I make sure that they 
how do I do my part to ensure that their the world they live in or the world their kids live in is 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 livable and is um you know a nice place to be. So kind of climate was something that I knew I wanted to be in for a long time. I thought you had to have like a PhD in some hard science to be in the climate world and I didn't know how that would work for me. But uh, I was happy to learn that software now has its place there uh, in that world to kind of enable market participants and kind of connect, make new networks and and uh, connectivity between those participants. So uh, I joined a startup called Patch to be their head of engineering uh, and I'm still there, it's great. Uh, and we build a marketplace for carbon credits. Do you feel like you mentioned like there's a place for software now? Do you feel like that's new for climate? That's like a recent change? Um, I think so, but I'm still far from, you know, an expert of the history of kind of how we got to where we are in terms of the climate world. I, I feel like, uh, before, uh, maybe a few years ago, a lot of the efforts were around the actual hard science pieces, which they still are. How do we actually pull carbon out of the air? How do we actually make vehicles be much more efficient? How do we decarbonize various supply chains and factories and, uh, industrial processes? Uh, but we realized that we also have to pull carbon out of the air. So how do we actually do that? And then once you get some of those kind of pieces of that machine working, there's a lot of coordination and a lot of like, how do we connect different, uh, groups of buyers and sellers and the demand and the supply side and how do we price correctly? And this market is something that is much more, uh, uh, nascent certainly compared to the markets that you and I have worked in a lot, like the stock markets or the, you know, the, uh, the fixed income market. So these, <laughs> this market is uh, much, much newer, much, you know, developing at a much faster rate in terms of what's changing. And uh, so I think software does now play a pretty important role. Super exciting. Yeah. Uh, who built those shelves behind you? Some good looking books. <laughs> <laughs> I built the shelves behind uh, me. Thank you for that layup. Uh, <laughs> during, during COVID, uh, this room was just uh, empty with a bunch of books on the floor. So uh, we were home for a while, obviously, like like everyone else. So I uh, cheated with some IKEA cabinets and then put the shelves together up top. Yeah, it's been um, good so far. Is it very well chosen green too? Yeah, oh, thank you. Color. Thank um, you. So, what was like for you from your own like personal experience? You know, why did you build it? Did you have dreams right. for the company? You know, how right. how's your dream compared to the actual ending? Um. That's a lot of, that's a, that's a pretty open question. So, uh, Quantopian for me, so I'm a developer at heart. I've been, you know, tinkering with computers for a long time, uh, and, uh, professionally and before, uh, while still in school. So one of the biggest kind of things I liked about Quantopian was that it was built for other developers to, to, to express the creativity and kind of build cool things. Um, nothing against like, you know, B2B SaaS products that, many companies work on that are very important but this one like I could see myself as a target user uh and not that I had any kind of specific investment investing experience but just I liked building for for an audience that I could relate to and so whether that was kind of the coding environment or that was like what the API should look like or how do you quote unquote uh, build or compile your code and see the results uh, something I, I could like really, I, I think, engage with and kind of helped me hopefully, you know, net make more positive product decisions than negative. But either way, uh, it was something that I enjoyed kind of thinking about. Um, 
I remember the first few years building with you and the team and like, I knew there were like various possible outcomes of, oh, we could start a fund. We could, you know, continue down the live trading path, which I'm sure we'll talk about. We could uh, do some other monetization things. And it was less important for me at the time. I think now I would be more concerned about it earlier. But at the time for me, it was less concerning about how are we going to monetize this and uh, how is it going to work? And more so just like, how can we blow the minds of the people that or in a community that are helping each other, helping us kind of build and understand what they want. So I really kind of enjoyed the product development part of that. Um, yeah, I, uh, from the early days, I just remember Pairwise programming with you so much, which is probably probably one of my favorite parts of the whole experience. Do you have a favorite partner for Pairwise programming? Everyone knows that you're my favorite partner, but do you have a favorite partner? Um, it's funny that I don't actually love programming myself oh really uh yeah not i'm not against it i just think that my kind of favorite is to kind of you know have someone to bounce ideas off of and or some one person or a group of people like we had a small group of awesome people to kind of discuss and bounce ideas off of but then i just like to kind of just just focus and and try to build the thing that and then come back and be like what does this look like or does this work or i'm stuck here let's brainstorm so uh, but I mean like you and then, you know, Rich and JD and, uh, Scott and, and yeah. Eddie and all the other people I'm forgetting, uh, you know, in the early team at Quintopian were all incredible engineers and people that could help us. We helped each other. Dan, uh, Don as well was a critical in this process to kind of help us figure out what it was that we we're building and kind of make sure that we didn't overbuild and, you know, make sure that we were getting feedback from our users at the right cadence. And, uh, yeah, but. We definitely had a about a year, maybe more, probably more, a year and a half, where it's just like we knew what we needed to build. And the initial build was pretty expensive in terms of time, I think, uh, in terms of bare functionality. Uh, it, we had talked to several times. It wasn't like sharing cat pictures, you know, like if the financial simulations aren't correct, you kind of pretty much lose trust immediately with everybody. We so zero, right? Zero trust from the internet yeah and as they should be i you know which is why we went down the open source path um as well but uh people should be skeptical of, of any site that's that's purporting to help you simulate financial outcomes because due to the complexity and due to all the things that we now know uh so it it, it takes time to earn trust and it it doesn't take time it, it, you can lose trust very quickly right so we had to really uh spend a lot of time getting the basic core pieces correct and maybe that was one of the challenges that we can dive into it just that like the the time to get feedback we had to you know basically use our entire maybe seed funding or something along those lines to kind of just get to get to a mvp um and that's a kind of a pretty like costly proposition but so, yeah either way uh, a lot of building. It was fun from an engineering perspective, certainly in, in, in the beginning to kind of just, we knew what we needed to build and it hadn't really been done before uh, in, a, in any way that was accessible to us to kind of see any prior art. I'm sure it was done internally at, at various companies, but uh, so we had to kind of really think about from first principles, how we want to do it. And, and that was, that was, a, that was a really fun time. I think it's a really good point about the big leap, you know, for the first 
MVP, like the first version. I actually think it uh, was our entire seat because I remember uh, at the end of that going and doing a big public demo. Um, yeah. Just gotten a lot of trading working. Can you just run that a little bit more? Like looking back, what do you think of that choice? So, like, did we have other alternatives? Should we have done it differently? I mean, yeah, that's the, that's the biggest question for me. Not even I, that question can be asked of any part in Quantopia's <laughs> kind of history. Uh, could we have done something in a different way that would have right. resulted not necessarily in a better outcome because that's basically impossible to predict, but at least in a faster path to knowing if we needed to do something else, like getting knowledge faster. Like how, yeah. like, could we have learned faster? Um, probably we could have, right? We went down a pretty expensive path, like in terms of building out an entire zero trust system where like, and by zero trust, I mean, as you know, we were asking strangers to write code that they knew would get executed on our servers. Uh, and that's like by definition, you know, one of the biggest no-nos in there. This is before Docker existed. So kind of a lot of effort, for example, was spent kind of around the security posture around executing untrusted code on our servers. And that was just a huge amount of effort. That, that's, that, that, that's like one example of something that's important, but not what our users care about. That was all effort spent not building features or not adding data sets or not adding things like that. Or, or like a problem that the industry later solved. Right, that we didn't, it wasn't necessarily like a problem that we had to bet on. Yeah, and it was solved, well, it, well, yeah, I'm curious which direction you mean by it was solved. Like one way it was solved was like Docker and other technologies were invented that helped that. Another way it was solved was just by bypassing that. And as you know, my favorite way to solve a problem is like not need to work on it at all. <laughs> and so like maybe, you know, and the biggest question I have is like for myself is, was the fundamental kind of abstractions that we were presenting to our users the right ones? I think we changed that later, right? Like asking users to have to uh, write code and do things like order management and risk management, all that stuff, which we'll get into. But also yeah. even like all our users wanted to work on their own tools. They, they were, many of our users, excuse me, wanted to work on their own tools. They had, they were data science experts and they were stats experts, other things like that. They had all sorts of things locally that probably would have, made them so that uh, they could do whatever development they want locally and then upload some results, yep. some artifact. So like, I think there were ways that we could have rethought the problem instead of trying to like uh, solve simultaneously, like lots of very hard problems at the same time. Well, I say this only because I think that would have gotten us to uh, maybe a similar place, but in a quicker time, in, in less time. Yeah. One thing that I've thought about a lot, um, on this point is just, it took us a long time before we even evaluated one of the algos that we got. Right. We had to chop a lot of wood just before we even got there. And that's really the payoff problem, right? Is to figure out if one is this crap producing anything, two, can we find it? And then three, can we use it? And it was very late in our, in our uh, development. It was, account. yeah, I don't remember exactly when it was, call it four years-ish and yeah, maybe. But that's like an eternity, right? And so yeah. that's a that's a lot to your point. That's a lot of uh, that's that's a lot of time to be placing on that bed of are we going to be able to find algorithms that are ideas that our users are doing? It's, it's a lot of license plate license plate making time, like Neil Stevenson would say, as opposed to 
you know, the, the actual important work. Um, we probably, I'm sure could have sped things up, but I think at the time we didn't maybe recognize that, or maybe we were, I, I can't remember. I, I don't want to, I can't remember the mindset or whether we were like just in a sunk cost kind of wanted to finish the path that we were on or I, there's I also like there was, yeah. there was like positive feedback, right? We were, we were gaining user, you know, felt like we were making, you know, we were very active. Yeah. yeah. Back, back then, certainly kind of gaining users was the most important thing from our, from kind of various uh, advisors yeah. and investors kind of perspectives for sure. There's also the distraction of live trading, which was an interesting kind yeah, of uh, thing. That's that, right. Let's your version of that story. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember how it came to be, but um, like who suggested it uh, or maybe this was, in the plan all along it's a little fuzzy now but at some point earlier uh than us getting the fund up and running and earlier than us evaluating users algorithms we were able to uh we realized that people wanted to basically write code to manage their own money in their own kind of to to to, to achieve their own goals and their own risk parameters and not in terms of our corporate and fund uh goals so we built a few integrations um, to popular kind of you know, brokers. Uh, some APIs were very nice to use and some APIs were insane and needed like standalone Windows EC2 environments to like log in every day to kind of fake someone's login. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy stuff happening, but people liked it a lot. And they were, I can't remember, the, the, maybe a thousand users, maybe 2000 people were live trading uh, their own money. I can't remember the actual dollars amount, but, but it was, it was pretty active. And, uh, that was a whole distract. I call that a distraction because we never committed internally until the very end to what we want to do with this. Are we going to charge for this or can we monetize this? Like the unit economics were a little tricky in terms of the monthly costs of infrastructure and other costs to kind of run these that we had pretty strict, uh kind of slas on this and slos like this is people's own money and we had to be very responsive to issues and bugs and so this became a whole sink of time and effort that was devoted towards a small but extremely passionate group of people who wanted to do this and uh i don't know if this is something that we had thought about like oh this was something that we're going to do all along or it kind of grew kind of organically but came a point where we had to decide like what do you want to do with this are we going to charge are we going to shut it down are we going to sell this to somebody else are we going to partner with somebody i don't know but it was a distraction i think the biggest reason it was a distraction is because the types of algorithms being written by these very active and engaged users were not the things that we would want the types of algorithms we would want for our funds so we were kind of quote unquote wasting the I don't know if wasting is the right word but these people could be doing stuff for us that we could pay them for but instead they were doing stuff for their own good which is totally reasonable and fine but just wasn't fitting into our overall plans so we eventually shut that down which caused all sorts of drama yeah. in our in our community which our community was actually you know very active and and thoughtful and vocal about this and other many other topics um, and also led to a lot of our active users in that group of active users moving to competitors who, who were focused on this problem more than we were. So it was, I, I don't know if in hindsight, we should have just 
acted faster or had more commitment towards it or something like that. But I'm curious, Foss, what you think about this area? Yeah. Um, I mean, one, one thing, just like the, the, like, why were we working on live trading? I think naively I expected the output to be usable in the fund. And mm -hmm. we had this idea that like, Oh, if people are doing this with their own money, right. They've seen the game. These are going to be somehow higher quality um, than, than the things that people are doing for pure research. And, right. um, but that, that was like a gross oversimplification because, you know, when people were trading their own money, even though some of them had like pretty substantial account sizes, um, they were doing sort of like single stock type trading um, versus the kind of stat RV cross-sectional thing we wanted with like hundreds of positions. And um, so I think it was, it was just like another example of being naive to the, you know, the very important details of what, what people would be doing with the system. Um, and then the other part of it, I think is um, like, we were, we were just like searching for people who were interested in doing this, right. And writing right. code, automating investment. And so when you have, we had a set, like you said, a small set of people who were incredibly passionate about it. And so that just felt like, you know, something to, to work on, right. It felt like the right thing to be working on because people were so passionate about it. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I, I um, wonder about it a lot because I, I don't know if it was the right thing to shut it down. Um, you know, another version is like stay focused on it. So that, that one, I'm still unsure yeah. what the right choice was. I think the, we took the extremely high risk, but high reward path of going down to build the investment fund um, or the investment vehicle. And the live trading business yeah. could have been a, a, a much different profile of outcomes uh, in yeah. terms of, but it's probably not a venture scale business, right? Like the live trading, you know, right. right. Because I, I think we could have gotten them to pay 50 bucks a month, maybe a hundred, but that's about as high as it would go. Yeah. I think the cost, the costs per, per customer were relatively high, like not as high as that, but like there was not a lot of margin and kind of it running was, that. Business. It was like teens per month, I think for uh, all in. Yeah. Well, that's the application, but then the people devoted to kind of uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're kind right. of running all that. So we never did all that, that, that entire model out, but um, yeah, maybe there's a world where those business models could have coexisted, which is another theme for later in Quantopian or, or um maybe we could have found a way to kind of find them a, a like a home somewhere uh, else. And, um, but yeah, but we kind of just decided to have to kind of pull the plug. And uh, that was, that was a interesting, but I mean, I think it was important to have a, have a position, right? Like yeah. to have a, have a perspective that we wanted to do. So that's what we did. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so you're you're like the most voracious reader that I know. You seem to read everything, uh, read the whole internet every day. Um, and I remember you read the uh, uh, Jim Simon's book, The Man Who Solved the Market. Yeah, um, I remember talking about it, but I, I really I really enjoyed your uh, your take on it. So I was hoping you could share that. I honestly don't remember what I said to you about <laughs> it. Uh, besides that, the my memory of the themes of that book were that he just took a long time for him to find success. And obviously he's found 
amazing level of, of success now. But yeah. if I remember correctly, something into his mid forties, uh, give or take, was when uh, th th there was a few, and even then, that's even at that point. Before that, maybe he was a math professor or something like that. But after that, he it took a few attempts. Each were multi-year attempts at different approaches, different markets, different people on his group, like uh, running out of money uh, until he, he cracked the code, which I think might be even the title of the book. So uh, I just remember marveling at the sharp ratios that he was finding going up and up and up. Now it's just a book about it. So who knows? But but uh, the, the takeaway I had was that like there is some there is value to unlock if you can find yourself enough time to kind of not run out of money, not run out of effort and people to work with. And uh, if you feel strongly about it, it can be done now. That's almost a naive, uh, that probably isn't very naive interpretation because the other interpretation would be, how about the thousands of people who have failed at this? You know, there's one guy who did an amazing job. I don't think that we need to try to make too many, you know, patterns or extrapolations from him. Right. Uh, but it was nonetheless uh, interesting and motivational read for sure. I, I do think like the long timeline is an essential ingredient though, because I felt for us, we, we meandered, but we eventually did find a gradient that we were kind of marching up. Yeah. Uh, it was just, we needed even more time and we took, we spent a long time on it, but um, I, you know, feel like we, Needed even more time to uh yeah to make... and i don't know that you and i i can't remember a, a ton of conversations maybe there were it's all you know some of it's a blur now or maybe with other people but like thinking about during that process how, us talking about explicitly how do we move faster so that we have more time yeah. um uh mm, yeah. one i i mean one way that we did that was to move away from users needing to write entire full-fledged algorithms risk with trading and risk controls and all the other stuff to kind of just cutting it down to the real value the nugget of their insight which is kind of the ranking of of the names per day and kind of their model that way i i like that i, I know people inside quantum have been asking about that for a long time so i don't want to it's, it's no way my credit at all to have that idea but but i like that idea a lot and i you know that's one of the ideas that if we had done that earlier we could have more time yeah or having people be able to run their data, run their analysis themselves, or finding a way to kind of add more data sets faster. But that's an interesting economic challenge because data sets are expensive uh, unless you obfuscate them like some other you know, firms have done. So that's an interesting approach, but just ways to kind of get more data into our, our users' hands, get them into a more flexible environment and get them to deliver us a, a more narrowed, a, a more narrow specific uh, artifact that we can then combine ourselves are all things that I think we were moving towards by the end, but uh, maybe we just, just waited too long. Yeah. I, I feel like uh, what you're describing is we suddenly, not suddenly after all this work, and I think it was uneven within the company. Like some people saw this more clearly sooner, uh, certainly than I did um, that, you know, reframing what, we wanted the crowd to do compared to what we needed to do internally. Uh, felt like right. really unlock. Right. That, that what was our role versus the crowd's right. role, and how how do we each do the thing that we're best at? Right. And I I don't know if we had figured that out uh, 
four years earlier. You know, that would have been that would have been maybe the right timing to figure that out uh, to have enough time to capitalize on it. Um, yeah, yeah. Which um, questions I'm going to ask you is based on everything that you know from your perspective we experienced in the company. Do you think crowdsourcing is viable? Like, is it is it a way to do this, or was it just a compelling narrative that we all kind of fell in love with? I think the crowdsourcing is viable, but I think there's uh, kind of so, so, like some, some 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 different pieces to it, right? One is like, is there talent everywhere? Those people, I I, I think the answer is yes. I don't really. I, I can't see like a logical construct where I, I, I can get to the point myself where I, I decide that no talent is not just like everywhere because I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, but the motivation, I think is the piece that was a little trickier. Uh, how do we motivate people, those, that talent to come to us and to do work? Like what is the right carrot or uh, I think we did a, re a good job getting people to join our community and to discuss and to kind of, you know, banter and things like that. But uh it's not, I think at least, it's very hard work to kind of find alpha and like, it's not trivial. Like, how do you, how do we get people to actually want to do this? Um, uh, how do they feel reasonably likely that there's gonna be a reward for them? Uh, or maybe even before that, how do they feel reasonably likely that, that this platform that we're asking them to, to devote a lot of time on is concrete enough and comprehensive enough from data to tools to whatever to, to make it likely that they will be able to find alpha on this platform. And uh, I, I don't know, that's something that I, I think we probably, that part we could have done better on. I, 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 I'd always wonder if people felt like there was enough data sets on our platform, felt like they were likely enough. There weren't enough case studies, I think, that would make people, maybe the marketing aspect of it, I, I don't know what it was, but I was worried that like, there were a lot of smart people out there, are we getting them to spend time on our platform? And yeah. why are they spending on our platform is something that I, I, I was not an expert at, but something was on my mind for a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the incentive structure that we had was really like the monetary incentive was really, really concentrated for just like the very, very pinnacle of the, of the contributors, right? The people who like found alpha and demonstrated it and we were able to, you know, recognize and use. Yeah. But even then it took time, right? Even then, even if we liked their, their idea and we tested it, you know, all the ways we tested it and we deployed yeah. it, it was months probably until they get, they saw anything. Yes. So I, that could be fine, but otherwise, uh, but I could see that also being. Yeah. Uh, well, I, that's what I was going to say. I, I feel like yeah. the time is an interesting thing I hadn't thought about, but what I was thinking about is you need like the, the broad base of people to be trying things, right? There's no, there's no, um, Waiting right. in advance, like who's going to be good at this, and so the incentive to try, I think, and maybe that's why you're talking about time, because like the time to wait for the reward is too long. It's it's you know not going to be motivating. Um, right. You know, that, that There's also the uh, the idea of like uh, kind of the single player versus multiplayer thing that we talked about on and off, which was if you have all these people around the world in their homes or workplaces or what schools or whatever that they're working on Quantopian, like, do they have any incentive? Can we build any incentive for them to want to wish the other people success as opposed to see them as competition? Mm -hmm. uh, is there some way where the platform gets stronger when 
I mean, the platform definitely gets stronger when we have lots of, of successful authors, right? All the stuff yeah. we talked about, like yeah. lots of independent uh, kind of algorithms results in a, in, a, in a good outcome. But like, how do we align that with the idea of our authors wanting to make sure that we succeed? We succeed like we will succeed as if we have lots of authors that are good. So then how do we get a lot of authors to be good? How do we make sure they can help each other or at least not compete, not feel like it's a zero sum game with each other uh, because other companies handle this with kind of, you know, the, the currency that, that would go up. Everyone has, has a stake in yeah. the company, things like that. But, yeah. but I never really think we solved that, that problem. Well, it was very kind of independent, like one author to Quantopian, like they didn't need to think about or consider or were incentivized to think about other authors. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we framed it as competition, right? That was that was like right. the, the device. Yeah, the contest, the, the monthly contests and things like that. Yeah. I think the restructuring yep. of the fund where we started um, the, the contributions as signals where we then combine them, right? Because we went through that uh, transformation. At that point, like everyone who was in uh, and contributing uh, signals to the fund, it was definitely a team because, yeah. you know, you're looking for things to be uncorrelated and you're getting... Um, paid based on the returns of the fund as a whole, as opposed to your individual signal, which right. really, um, I have to say was a surprise to me, but worked very, very well. Like that, that fit our community very, very well. The other, the other thing while you're just talking that like kind of clicked for me earlier, you were saying like, you know, it took us a while to hone in on like the MVP and the thing that really, we really needed to get uh, out the door in order for people to be productive. And um you know, just like looking back, like what were the most important things? Actually, the most important thing was the source data, like just you know, yeah. getting new data to the, and one of the things that happened late in the game, right, is we started doing that, uh, uh, I think monthly basis, we were shipping a new data set and um, the production was unreal. I mean, we were getting, you know, like 20, 30 viable sales yeah. per data set in like, it, it was like days. It was like, you know, two and three days. We yeah. Out have interesting signals i was gonna bring that up the whole data set thing uh yeah. i'm glad you did um or uh, more in depth um i agree with that i it was just too late right we needed to have done that earlier and the economic yeah. i mean the reason we had to partner with a data provider to get those data sets at otherwise the list price as you know would be unfathomable for our scale given that we were distributing it the, the leakage was going out even though our platform had a reasonable story around keeping data on the platform you couldn't steal it you couldn't copy it but nonetheless that that uh, was still a high hurdle um i still think we were integrating data sets too slowly and it and the and the process by which we integrate data sets into our API, like our API was very opinionated, the, the pipeline API and, and other APIs that we had, uh, which is very powerful and I loved it, but it was one way to to, to do financial uh, research. I don't think in any way, the only way, not that I'm an expert at this, um, but because of our kind of pretty fanatical views on point in time data and data correctness and things like that, I think it took us too long to ingest data sets. I'm thinking that we probably, the 80-20, your favorite, or something else like that, like there could have been a faster way to get data sets on our platform, even if it led to some kind of inconsistencies or, uh, you know, the point in time is not always pristine. 
just so that we can get because it was it was our lifeblood and we were doing it too slowly. Um, and I that's that's something that's probably on me, among other people. But uh, I I take a lot of responsibility for that because I should have I tried to push and should have pushed more for just like wholesale much get the data on the system much faster, like expose a queryable database that with read only credentials. I don't know something hacky that didn't need to scale. There were like a couple hundred people that we were targeting that needed yeah. to use this, not half a million or a million, which uh, the rest of our community, which we could have spent more time or given them less or whatever. Like we knew all the people who were using this on the, uh, yeah. we had vetted the authors. Like, so we should have been a lot more, uh, do things that don't scale, just kind of hack you, like get, get a million data stuff on the platform immediately. Uh, I just think uh, we were just a little too rigid in our thinking about doing sure. things right in a scalable way when like we're running out of time. Yeah. yeah the classic, sure. classic startup failure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely think there's, there's this like fine balance between being committed to the audacious mission, right? You know, we're, we're trying to, you know, crowdsource alpha um, and just being being uh, really focused on that and not being afraid to make that big bet, right? I mean, that's what we were there to do. Balancing that with not being rigid in how you do it. And I think yeah. myself, definitely I had long periods where I, you know, confused those two, you know, that, that right. you know, being committed to like solving the problem in a certain way is not the same thing as being committed to solving the problem. Uh, and it's two different, and then once you've identified the people out of the hundreds of thousands of people in our community who we deem high potential, high value, however you, however we do that, it's a different audience. They, they can have different tools and data sets and, and uh, relationships with us and uh, trust levels. They're no longer strangers on the internet as much as, as we thought. So our security models could have been different for them too. So yeah, like we were just trying to apply the, 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 the platform devoted to kind of almost adversarial uh, strangers on the internet to trusted people. And I think that was, that was a mismatch. Yeah. I don't feel like we yeah. even got to really learn about that transition. You know, we, like we started to have that set of people. Um, yeah. But as a company, we didn't, we didn't start learning about how to treat them and, and what the, what the right approaches were um, just based on the timeline. I think the other yeah. thing that, I've never thought of this before. A lot of people would give me feedback that like the point in time, like the devotion to point in time was, was a waste. And um, because it all started with the back tester, if you're gonna write a back tester, the point in time really is important. But what just occurred yeah. to me, it might be the most ironic thing. We didn't trust our back test, right? That was not the way that we selected algos. We, we used out of right. forward testing. And so, yeah, if everything had been forward testing in the first place, yeah, then it would have been some kind right. of model. Yeah, uh, that's that, that's a good point for sure. Uh, I don't remember why we started the back test. Maybe that's just because that was, in our opinion, like the natural first place to to. I think it was, think it was just to an test artifact. ideas. Uh, yeah, well, and then the research platform came along, which was a much more powerful. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you why we started with the back tester is when I when I was um, trying to meet other you know to meet quants and find yeah. out it was the only it was the only thing I could find out about uh, sure yeah. in that particular problem um, yeah. and that's that was the first thing that I made so that kind of 
anchored us in a way, which is super interesting. Um, yeah, if we had this is this is a good thought experiment. If we had only focused on walk like forward testing, we would then we would have asked our users to somehow with some tool, I don't know what, their own tools, or like they would need to have some tool to kind of even produce the artifact that we would then right. put into kind of uh, forward testing. Yeah, I, I feel yeah. like the, um, the Numerai model is sort of that, right? Where uh, yeah. they're, they're obfuscating the data and sending it out and, and um, right. collecting board results. Right. The other architecture that um, arrived pretty recently is um, the, the, the way that like prefect works where there's there's orchestration in the cloud and then re like local resources. Um, I've never right. actually figured this out. I always wondered like, is that, is that a, like a, a system architecture that could have worked better? You mean like when that? the code execution is happening locally on the author's machine? Yeah, like one thing you said, right, is, uh, like why tell people what tools to use? They're we're going out and finding people that are smart and know how to analyze data. They probably already have a tool yeah. chain. What they need is yeah. right. It, it really comes back to like, how do you get the data in the hands of these talented people faster? Uh, and I think the other thing you're kind of saying is with more flexibility, so that they can do whatever they yeah. want. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the economic model of data set world is uh, one that. Maybe obfuscation is a way to kind of bring down the cost. Uh, all those mathematical approaches to kind of obfuscate data, but still keep the relationships between the, the pieces yeah. of data so you can actually do, do stuff with them. Or some other approach uh, that, uh, you know, gets funded by a data set company so that they're incentivized. I don't know, but uh, but uh, that, that's a tricky, tricky nut to crack. But I, I wanted to kind of just come back to the idea that like we're talking about a lot of things that like didn't go well because we're engineers and like to kind of just talk about that. But like, it's pretty like the most surreal parts of my career ever have been like, uh, you know, the Quancons that we had, the conferences that we had yeah. where I'm like walking through a pretty big kind of meeting, uh, kind of hotel kind of meeting area. And there's like hundreds of people there who all paid a lot of money to come talk about come hear about different quant topics our, and our, our company's putting on this conference every year. It was just kind of always kind of mind blowing that, that, that this was, yeah. we actually found the people that are willing to fly to a city where the yeah. conferences pay a reasonable amount of money and kind of do this. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And that was really uh, cool. the thing I loved about QuantCon was the excitement that people had for seeing each other, you know, yeah. people in our community <clears throat> and uh, you know, cause there were like, collaborations and friendships and everything like that that formed, you know, around this, yep. this uh, challenge that they were all, all pursuing and um, seeing those people meet each other and, and uh, how excited they were was, was, was uh, phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Uh, so some degree, like it's, a, it, it's to like, wow, there are people like me, you know, type yeah, thing. Like, right. I mean, they're all here. <laughs> exactly. So, well, I mean, they're all here on the community online, but now they're all here or many of them are here in person and let's hang out and uh, talk shop. So yeah, it was, it was a really cool moment every year to kind of see that happen. Yeah. I also love that yeah. we, um, the whole, the whole mindset for QuantCon was real content, right? It was, it was going to be, you know, yep. like zero promotion, all useful, interesting kind of deep content. Um, 
and I still marvel at like the people that turned up to speak. I mean, we had we had some real luminaries um, come and totally give give talks, and uh, I think it's it is one of the things that a lot of people uh, remember. Like when I meet people now uh, who remember Quantopian, that's one of the things that comes up a lot. Um, totally, and I you know and like and to sum it up, like it, I've interviewed a lot of people just for various positions since Quantopian and many times they've said that they learned how to code on Quantopian or they were part of the community. And yeah. uh, it was just kind of really cool that, uh, you know, each time that happened, I'm like, wow, this is, this is, this is real. Yeah. This, this uh, yeah. really helped. Yeah. That part I feel, I feel really good saying that worked, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, Introducing people to program, introducing people to finance and investing. A lot of people have told me that it was their entree and that they've, you know, gone on to work in the industry. And and um, yeah, that's that's right. definitely uh, something to cherish. So as we're winding down here, I'm just wondering, who else do you want to hear from? Like, who else? Whose opinion would you love to hear about Quantopia and how things went and what went right? And what yeah. Went um, I mean, there are people inside Quintopian and there are obviously people in our community, the fund authors, I don't know how many of them want to be on, on the record or anything like that, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, some of the fund authors I think would be, would be great. The community members, uh, the, those power users that we would spend a lot of time going back and forth on, on various topics, uh, inside Quintopian, I think specifically Jess, uh, Jonathan, Dan, yeah. I think those are people. I'm I I'm going through different functions here. So uh, obviously, other engineers, I'd be happy to hear from them. That'd be great and and things like that. But I think Jess, Jonathan, and Dan all would provide some interesting, different, differentiated kind of points of view uh, from their kind of work and their perspective of of what went well and what didn't. Um, and I'd love to kind of make sure that I kind of hear from them. Totally agree. All right, my last question. Would you do it all over again? Yeah, uh, yeah I definitely would. Uh, both both if I could rewind and do it again as, you know, in, in 2012, but also at some point in the future. Uh, I, I think, <laughs> I don't know that there's a lot of data points of, 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 of founders like taking a second shot at the exact same problem. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think uh, we would we would know a lot more about yeah, sure. what to do now. And a lot, a lot has changed in a way that I still think the data set problem, how do you distribute data sets in a way is like, I would want to make sure we have a solution to that first uh, before, you know, going down the road. But I think a lot of the other challenges, I, I think I would feel a lot better about, like I have a comfortable approach on, on the rest of them. It's how do you distribute? I mean, I'm, the only one left is the hardest one, right? It's like, how do we get yeah, right. in, in, in people's hands? So I'm not saying it's a solved problem, but uh, that one, if we can get, if, if, if there's an answer to that, that works well. Um, I think, I think the pieces are there. Yeah, I agree. I think um, just reminded me of uh, Steve Wozniak's uh, autobiography. There's, there's this like scene he, he uh, shares when he's a, I think he's like a teenager. And he couldn't have a computer, so he was he was reading the the specs, the hardware specs, like looking at the um, schematics of computers, like all the component designs. 
yeah. and playing, designing revisions to those computers. And the game that he came up with was to replicate the computer that he had the spec for with as few components as possible, right? He just came up with this yep. game as a kid because I think his mindset was he wanted to build one. So he was trying to make it as cheap as he possibly could. And um, I feel like if if I were to go at it again, honing in on like, what is, what's like the problem uh, in data distribution and access, I think is really the problem. Like if you can give these people data, they can give you signals and right. uh, right. doing that like right. the snack way, like the cheapest possible, most efficient way to get to that point where you're, where you're sharing, um, I think would be. Yeah. And maybe it's not historical data. Maybe it's just forward looking data. Maybe yeah, that's the, data. that's the, that's the, but that's the constraint that makes things easier. Well, the, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there, right. I think yeah. that line of thinking, like there is some constraint that will make this affordable or make this easier is, is like right. a good line of reasoning. Um, right, right, right. I think it's really interesting the way you answer the questions, like, would I do it in 12 again, or would I do it again sometime in the future? I hadn't thought of that. Um, but sometime yeah. in the future seems a lot more appealing than going back to 12. There's just like so much. <laughs> I mean, if you build a time machine, then you can monetize it. Yeah. Ways. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's always better to, to do something with the benefit of hindsight and more wisdom and experience. So, um, yeah, but it was, it was yeah. an awesome experience. Okay, I, more tools now. No. I mean, we, we wouldn't have to build like yeah. a post environment, right? We would, Yes, different. but no regrets. You know, everything is learning experience, and I, you know, the people and the experiences were were priceless. So it was it was an awesome experience. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Cool. All right, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. See ya. Bye.